Welcome to the Yours in Marketing podcast. Hey, it's Blake here. If this is the first time that you're joining us on the Yours in Marketing podcast, do me a favor. Please go wherever you get your podcast, doesn't matter where, and please review, rate, subscribe to the podcast right now. Well, or after the episode, whichever works for you. We're really looking for your support so that we can build this and make it even more valuable for you. So please rate, review, and subscribe the Yours in Marketing podcast. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. On today's episode, I speak with Julie Hogan, who is the VP of the customer team at Drift, one of the biggest companies out there and quickly growing. And she was really, really interesting to talk to because not only is she the VP of the customer team at Drift, but she's also a parent with kids and and other responsibilities to deal with. A lot of people can relate to that, but she just really is a, a proponent of working mothers and was very fascinating to talk to. I was able to speak with her about a bunch of different things, but here's what you're really going to learn from this episode. First off, you're going to learn how to really balance family and work, or if that's even possible. Second, we talk about how to get work for companies like Deloitte, HubSpot, and Drift, how to find your way into positions with big companies like that. But then finally, the key point here that you're going to learn is how to make your career about people, not positions. It was really awesome to talk with Julie. I think you're going to get a lot out of the episode. So without any further ado, here is the interview with Julie Hogan. Cool. All right, everybody. So I have Julie Hogan from Drift here with me. She's the VP of the customer team. So Julie, how are you doing? And then what does that actually mean, VP of the customer team? Hi, Blake. Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. And the customer team is a combination of of two core teams. So we have customer success and our customer success team are the individuals who deliver onboarding, implementation, and ongoing success for our customers. And then the, the second part of our customer team is the customer advocate team. So those are the individuals who sit at the front line of our customers who chat in with inquiries, questions, who submit tickets on things that they need support on. And so we, we think of the customer team as the umbrella of those two really important organizations. Got it. Well, I'm, I think that most companies probably don't have that that focus. Like they don't have the two separate teams for the customer service, customer success kind of thing. Most will just say, "Oh, we we have a customer success t- or a customer service team." But at Drift, I mean, that's kind of what you're all about, right? Is building the, your community around actually helping customers. So, I guess talk talk to that a little bit and and why it's different at Drift. What you're doing that is so different from everybody else. Sure. It's so it's so fascinating to me because I've been I've been customer facing my entire career. I I grew up in corporate consulting where I was working on the front lines with with different businesses as an analyst and then a consultant and then you know, I think over the past 10 or so years, customer success has has taken off and there are so many definitions of it and there are so many different different ways that people talk about what it is. And I think for Drift, uh, the way we think about it is customer success is when your company delivers on the intended value of your product. And so it goes beyond just a team. And, and the way we think about it at Drift is that the customer team is one part of the equation, right? We're, we're a collection of people and our goal is to enable that value realization. So we we market to customers who we know are a good fit for us. We build a product that allows customers to solve problems that they have. And through enablement, adoption, education, growth, and, and also building really strong relationships with businesses so we understand who they are, what they need, who they sell to, mm-hmm. that's where customer success is driven. And so I think at Drift, 
you know, back to your original question, it goes beyond just one team. Customer success is something we think about in all of the different functions that are that are part of our organization. We'll certainly get into that more at what you're doing at Drift a little bit later on, but I do want to dive a little bit into your origin story. So I love you don't have to necessarily go all the way back to zero, but maybe <laughs> maybe if you start like kind of when your career got started or at least when you started getting knowing what you were interested in and then kind of take it from there, what your origin story was professionally and how you ended up where you are today. Sure. So I, I think I'll, I'll start where I'll start is school. And the reason I start there is I am not somebody who has a pedigree. I'm not somebody who who comes from a specific program or background that, you know, maybe one would assume would would land you in a in a role where you're where you're leading a part of an organization. I grew up in a city outside of Boston and went to the state school that I could afford. And I majored in English mostly because I enjoyed reading and writing. Mm-hmm. And I knew if I got good grades that I would likely be able to get a job because I'd have a good GPA and that would allow me to pay my student loans off. So uh, that when I think about strategy and, and things I was doing, it was really that right. I, I wanted to go to a school that I could afford, that I could pay my loans back on, and I found my way into uh, Deloitte and consulting, uh, mostly through wanting wanting to figure out how I could get my foot in the door in business and learn. Here I was, someone who who really didn't know much about the the business world, but I knew that I enjoyed working with people. And I think sometimes that gets poo-pooed. I remember my very first college counselor, I walked in and we were not a good match. And the first thing (laughs) she said to me was, tell me what you want to do and don't tell me you're a people person. And I remember (laughs) saying, oh, oops, well, that's that's what I was going to tell you. So I guess guess where this isn't going well. But I leaned into that. You know, I, I had always had jobs in service. I've been working since I was legally able to collect a paycheck and I've always always thrived in environments where I was working with different people, whether I was bartending, servicing, waitressing. And in consulting, what was great is it puts you in this environment where you start to learn how to solve problems for different companies and you're you're embedded in these organizations. And so you build relationships with your clients, you understand what their needs are, what their problems are, and you work with these incredible people who who show you the ropes, who teach you how to to dig in and, and uncover the way that you drive value for companies. And so I stayed at Deloitte for about three years, learned a lot, but was starting to get curious for a little bit of a different pace. And I I had a friend who left and went to a at the time a forty person startup that was in an incubator in Cambridge uh, back in Boston. I was living at the time in in Pennsylvania and was on the road quite a bit. And I really longed to be back in in the Boston area. And he left Deloitte and went to this 40-person startup at a in an incubator space. And it just sounded so intriguing to me. And the way he would talk about the problems they were trying to solve, what they were trying to do, the momentum they were driving got me really curious. And so I ended up applying and interviewing and I joined and this company was HubSpot. I joined when we were about 70 people mm-hmm. in the incubator space in Cambridge and stayed there for about eight years. And my play was I'll hopefully convince them to hire me and get a job <laughs> working in consulting or implementation because that's what I knew how to do. And maybe, you know, I'll learn the ropes of of what it means to work in the marketing space. And one of my customers will hire me and and that that will be how I get back into Boston. And I ended up staying for eight years because I fell in love with what it means to work at a, a startup 
and a scaling company and, and being part of the journey. And for my my time at HubSpot, I was always in, in a customer-facing role. So first as an individual contributor and then uh, part of uh, management and helping grow our team internationally and then uh, made the the jump over to Drift. Ironically, at like the exact same stage. So Drift was about seventy people when I joined in October of 2017. And again, you know, I think the opportunity to jump into something and do it all over again. There are very few, I think, people in Boston who who have a vision like like David Cancel and Elias, and to have the opportunity to work with them and build another pillar company in the Boston area, I, I would have been silly not to to jump on that opportunity. So that's that's sort of in a nutshell what what the journey's <laughs> been, the the origin story, if you will. Yeah, well, a, a couple of points there. So first off, I think you have your own business model that you could do on your own where you would just consult people on when to jump onto a startup or when not to, because it seems like you've had a lot of success identifying the right ones to attach yourself to. And then second off, I do want to talk about this because you you originally started out as an intern at Make-A-Wish. Is that right? It is. Yes. Okay. Yes. So I'm curious about this because you've got people on different sides of the spectrum about internships. You've got people like Gary Vaynerchuk who say that you should work for free at a cool internship because that's where you can get the most value at the beginning of your career. Then you have other people that say that internships should go away, that you should not be expected to work for no pay or very little pay. So where do you fall in that spectrum and what was that experience like for you? Sure. I love this question and I love this conversation because the way I, I ended up in this internship was it was a, an itch I wanted to scratch. I When I was in school, again, English major, wasn't sure what I wanted to do, wasn't sure what was out there. And I had always had an interest in working for a nonprofit. And I think at the time, I was 19 when I had that internship, I had this idealized vision inversion in my mind of what it meant to work there. And when I applied there wasn't really a role. I basically just wrote them a cover letter and said, I'm really interested. I believe in your mission a ton. And I would love the opportunity to come in and, and intern for you a couple of days a week. And I took that unpaid because I still had my other two pretty much full-time jobs that I needed during the summer to pay my expenses and to continue to pay for school. And so for me personally, the opportunity to intern gave me a chance to learn how to work. Again, as a 19-year-old person going into Boston every day, taking the train into an office, seeing what that office environment was, I learned a lot about what I did want to do and what I didn't want to do. And, and I think what I learned there is in a nonprofit world, the pace is going to be different than, than working at a startup or working somewhere else. And what ended up happening in Boston Make-A-Wish was in the same building as our NBC affiliate. And as much as I loved the work I was doing, I realized that the pace in the office and the environment wasn't necessarily where I thought I would be happy. And literally walking in and out of the, that internship over, over the two days I held it throughout the summer, I would walk past the NBC affiliate. And in my mind, I thought, what would be faster? I guess a newsroom would be a little bit faster than this. And it sort of piqued my interest in seeing, would they be open to taking me on as an intern for the following summer. So the next summer I ended up interning at NBC basically by walking in and asking what what are the internship programs like here? How does it work? Because I was curious. And I, and for for me personally I think just learning about the type of environment I wanted to be in 
or thought I wanted to be in, but just didn't know enough about, it gave me the opportunity to explore and to learn. So I'm a big proponent of going if it scratches an itch, because on the other side, you could be waiting for this job that you've created a version of in your head and you've gone through school or you've gone through an interview process, but you've never experienced the reality of what that role is. And so in the absence of doing that, you could land what you think your dream job is and then get in there and be like, wait, this is nothing <laughs> like I thought it would be or like I dreamed it would be. And and I think that's the benefit of, of taking on those two unpaid internships and, and what it did for me in terms of helping me navigate the type of environment I wanted to be in and the type of work that I, I actually thrived in. It's, it sounds like speed or just being challenged in general is kind of one of those driving factors for you that when you when you got to make a wish, maybe it was too slow. So you're looking for something different. Are there any other, I guess, key morals or principles that have served as the bedrock of everything that you're doing now? Like taking into account that you, you really liked the speed of a startup or the, the challenges it, it places in front of you. Are there any other principles like that that are kind of foundational for you? Yeah, I, I think one of the things I learned at HubSpot and loved as that company grew was that people genuinely enjoyed being there. When you interviewed people, they'd come in and they'd be like, wow, this is like, there's there's this palpable thing that exists when you walked into the building. And I remember feeling the same way when I got into Drift and, and almost feeling at home saying like, yes, this is this is the sense that that you want to get when you go somewhere where people are motivated. People take pride in the work they do. And I don't think I've I've been fortunate enough that I don't think I've I've necessarily experienced the opposite of that. But I have uh, friends who do and talk about commiserating out of misery and you know plugging in and sort of you know checking in and checking out and going into work every single day and not really caring about what you're doing and and people people don't enjoy what they're doing. It, it feels like a chore to go into work every day and, and work, work is work, right? Like not every single day is going to be something that you feel very positive about, but for the most part, if the majority of the time you're working with people who take pride in what they do, they believe in what they do. They believe in the people they work with and they're learning that environment becomes something that you want to come back to. And so when you talk about office culture, uh, you know, at startups, there, there are always things that you, you sort of see in the Hollywood version of what a startup is, the ping pong tables and, mm -hmm. and all of that. But, you know, my take is the value really is in the, the quality of the people you're spending all of your time with. And are these people who, who really care about the thing that you're going after every single day? And, and if so, it, it breeds like wildfire. People are inspired and excited to come in and do great work. And, and that to me is, is a no brainer. I couldn't work in an environment where people clocked in and clocked out. I want to be somewhere where people care, uh, particularly on the customer side, you have to care about what you're doing. You're talking to people all day long who have invested time and money in the thing that you're bringing to the market. And you need to, to put genuine interest into the, the things that you're driving for them. Well, you've, you've obviously worked for a lot of highly touted companies. Uh, there are probably a lot of young people out there that are just starting their careers that would look at what you've accomplished and be extremely jealous. And they would ask you, what can I do to have a career that looks like that? So what would you tell them? Wow, that's flattering. Thank you. Um, I would I would say, in all honesty, work hard and don't focus so much on having to have a specific title or working at a specific brand name. I think unintentionally, what can happen 
is you you focus so much on the title of the place you're going or the the title that your role will have and instead focus on the things that you you know that you enjoy and that you're good at and don't let anything else steer you in, in the opposite direction. I think where I saw the benefits without even realizing it was the fact that I felt very limited. And and I, I when people talk about imposter syndrome, for sure, when I remember graduating from college, I had friends who had family relatives and friends who had this incredible network and they were taking on these jobs that sounded really fancy and working at these places that sounded much fancier than what I was doing. And, and thinking that someone like me would never take on a role at a place like that because I simply couldn't. I didn't have the background, I didn't have the experience, I didn't have the network. And what ends up happening is you you work hard in, in the areas of things that you enjoy, things will evolve. And I think the other piece too is it doesn't happen overnight. Finding work that you thoroughly enjoy isn't necessarily just going to fall in your lap and you're magically down this path of success. Mm-hmm. Like there's no, there's a great quote by Amy Poehler uh, where she says like, there isn't like a peak of success mountain where anyone ever gets there and says, okay, I've arrived and I'm here. It's it's a constant climb. You're constantly working on improving and and getting better at the things you're doing. And, and I think that's just part of the journey. So knowing that it, maybe if you're early in your career and you're searching for what you're going to do, for me, at least, it's never been like, ah, I've landed, I'm here and I can settle and relax. It's always been, okay, I'm, I'm at a place that I really enjoy and I'm really happy. And I have so much I have to learn. There's so much I don't know. And there's so much more that that I need to do in order to to be great at what I do. And so it's it's accepting the fact that it's a constant journey of improvement and learning. Mm. Well, to add another wrinkle to what you just said, not only have you built a successful career, but you're also a parent with family responsibilities. You've had a lot of success kind of melting the two clearly because you're, you've been able to do both very successfully. But to the parent out there who wants to build a career like that or to build a product to become an entrepreneur, what advice would you have at that point for kind of building a structure that allows for both the family time you need and the work time you need and also the personal time that you need? Yeah, it's a long time ago. I remember I went to, this is probably my very first year working. I went to a women, a women in business uh, panel And everyone on the panel talked somewhat superficially about work-life balance Mm -hmm. and, and were telling the stories of how perfectly balanced their life was and how through the, the choices they made, they felt like they had the balance. And I remember one of the women on the panel said, and this was before anyone had iPhones. So I think she was referring to like her Blackberry or her flip phone, (laughs) but she was like at, you know, six o'clock every night, I put my Blackberry away in my bag and it's gone for an hour and everyone applauded. And I remember sitting there being like, we're supposed to applaud this like an hour a day is, <laughs> is balance and leaving there just feeling so discouraged. And this is before I you know, was even thinking about a family, but I knew eventually I wanted one and mm-hmm. being like, wait, they sounded like they all were very happy with what was what was going on in their life, but everything seemed superficial. There was no real conversation. And I think what's been really helpful is having real conversations with other people early, early in, in learning, like, how do you do it? When I was in college, I, one of my jobs was nannying for different families and, and working, you know, for families in, in my community, in my neighborhood. And, and they both, they had two parents who were working full time and seeing firsthand what, 
what life was like for families who who had to balance it and had to figure it out. And I think that was a really interesting learning for me. So seeing like, what are the different options? Some people had someone like me who was nannying and helping. Others had relatives who were nearby. And so just seeing that there are different options and different models. And then coming to the realization that it's never going to be perfect. And, and I think when I started feeling comfortable was when I stopped focusing on having to have things perfectly balanced. In my world, I have a four-year-old boy, a two-year-old boy, and I am, as we speak right now, I'm 36 weeks pregnant with my third. And you know, there are some days where I miss breakfast, lunch, dinner, and bedtime with my children. And I think five years ago or four years ago, I was embarrassed to say that out loud because I Mm. worried about being judged and I worried about people thinking I was a terrible mother. But the reality is I've accepted that my in my world, in the role that I've chosen and the path that I've chosen, that that is one of the things that happens sometimes, that you will miss that full day. But I also can make it up on the back end. That means that I may go in later the next day and drive my sons to school, or I may spend more time with them during the night that we have an event because I say no to the events. And so knowing that you have choices, but that those choices don't always result in a perfect balance, I think of it more as a blend, um, particularly with my my responsibilities for, for international. When I was at HubSpot, I had some mornings that were really, really early and some nights that were really late and some days or weeks on the road. And what you learn is you can't feel sorry for yourself or or let guilt eat you alive if you're working overtime in one part of your life and not as much in the other part. You personally have to accept the choices you make and, and the decision you've made in your life in order to to keep both of those things working. But it's never going to be a perfect balance. And, and I think that's been helpful. So I think of it as work-life blends. You're, you're blending these two things that matter a lot to you and, and doing the things that make sense for your life and not apologizing if there are people out there who think that your life choices are absurd or outside the dimensions of what they think a family should be. Yeah, I mean... I I have a daughter as well. It's kind of a different experience for me. My wife does stay at home, so it's 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 different. But I think it's it's really inspiring to see people that well, you know, whether it's a mother or a father that actually is really really invested in work and in family to kind of pick their brain. So that I mean, I learned a lot from what you, what you just said. I, I want to take a step back and talk a little bit more about. You mentioned you went to a, a counselor at school. And she said, don't tell me you're a people person. <laughs> and and yet that's like, that's your first response was to go there. So how did you kind of find out that people would be around the center of your career? And how did you deal with, you know, her saying, don't tell me you're a people person? How did, like, how did that all come together? Yeah, it's such a great question because I don't think it came together until very recently. I think it's something that I've always been a little bit self-conscious of because in tech particularly, I joke that like tech, the past 10 years of tech, it's like the age of the introvert. Everyone you talk mm-hmm. to is like, this is this is who I am on stage, but I'm really introverted or I'm really like not comfortable <laughs> with people all of the time. And you sort of hear, that's been like the narrative in tech for a long time. And I hear that and in the back of my mind, I'm always like, I'm the total opposite. Like I am extreme extroversion on one end. And 
a couple of things. Uh, one was I very recently read the book that Beth Comstock, who was, uh, those who aren't familiar with her, she's a fabulous female leader. She was the chairman of the board for GE and an executive at GE and, and NBC for a long time. And, you know, hearing about all of her accomplishments in her life, you would assume that she's naturally good everything, like super sharp, super smart. And and she writes a whole chapter in, in one of the books she recently wrote about how introverted and challenging it was for her to approach and work with people. And I remember reading that chapter and just being almost struck and saying like, this is hard for people. Like this, this in fact is a skill that some people struggle with and realizing that it's not something that you have to be embarrassed about or make up for if you are on the extreme extroverted side of the equation. The thing you have to be mindful of is how to throttle it. So when is that your superpower? And when is that also, you know, your Achilles heel? And so I think very recently I realized that in hearing the sort of that feedback way back then when when it was, oh, don't tell me you're a people person like this. And her feedback there was like, that doesn't get you anywhere. Those things are fluff. And those skills are not necessarily skills that propel you into a serious career. The reality is with everything that's happening, the people who are purchasing products are human beings who require conversations with other human beings. And so if you're someone who perhaps is trying to figure out what they want to do and you're you're using some of those phrases like people person or extroversion, landing a home in service and customer success is a really great place because as as long as there are products being sold to other people, they're going to need. Uh, we're going to need people who are comfortable in having those conversations and being able to engage in that way. So, a long sort of a long way to say that it wasn't until recently that I was like, oh, this this is a skill set and it is something to embrace and not feel like you have to apologize for. Yeah, well, that's clearly a strength of yours. But what are what are some of the downfalls of extroverted leaders like yourself? Like, what what's the oh. downside of it when it when it's not effective? Tons. How much time do we have? Um, <laughs> All the time in the world. <laughs> so here's here's the thing. Uh, when you talk about particularly building teams and and growing teams, there's the golden rule of not necessarily treating people the way that you want to be treated, but treating people the way they want to be treated. And so I think as somebody who is sort of off the charts extroverted, that can be a lot. You can unintentionally suck the air out of a room. Um, I have learned that. You can unintentionally dominate conversations. I've learned that. And you can talk a lot. You can be somebody who does not listen enough. And what's been a great learning for me, uh, my my CEO, David Cancel, he and I are literally, I think, the most extreme polar opposites when it comes to uh, personality and introversion, extroversion. And with the two of us working together, we've learned a lot in how we communicate and how we navigate things. And he's taught me a lot about being a better listener, being someone who doesn't necessarily come in and drop grenades or bombs <laughs> in terms of like just being very direct and vocal and doing more to pull back. And so some advice I got was the throttle, knowing when you can throttle that to a 10 and it's going to work in the best way and throttling it back to a five when you need to be a bit more reserved and you need to be in a place where you can you can reel in and really 
be understanding of the different personalities around you. So it, I, I think some of those skills have helped me a lot in just being more self-aware of when it's a benefit and when it's also something that, that can be a, a drawback. Well, you're, you're from Boston. So what's, <laughs> what's the overall vibe? Would you say it leans more extroverted or introverted overall in the Boston area? Oh, completely. Boston in general, I think. And, and you know, I, I laugh. I grew up right outside of the Boston area. And so my natural, my natural Boston accent is one that I think because I've been, I've been outside of Boston for a little while, it's toned down a bit, mm. but we, we tend to, we tend to be the extreme extroversion <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Well, okay. I, I want to talk a little bit more about Boston because it's actually kind of one of those tech hubs now. You've got a, a lot of really good companies coming out of Boston, HubSpot. I mean, obviously Drift. So basically everywhere you've worked in Boston is is a great company, a great tech company. But how does it stack up against some of the other tech hubs in America? Like what are what would be your top three tech areas in the country? Ooh, in the country. So I'm cheating by saying San Francisco, but but it is what it is. Um, yeah, no choice, you know, really. No choice, right? And you know, I think the other places that we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of of interesting places come out of, particularly customers that we work with who are on the cutting edge. Austin, Denver, mm-hmm. different parts of New York City as well. As as you see the the Brooklyn tech scene continue to to build up there, mm-hmm. you're seeing in different parts of Providence, Rhode Island, you're seeing some some tech pop up there. And then if we expand it globally, you know, I spent a lot of time in Dublin, the, the way that Dublin has grown over the past, you know, six, six to eight years, walking around the Docklands area is, is like a mini Silicon Valley. It's incredible. <laughs> the logos you see everywhere. And, you know, you, you simply walk in, in one tiny area, you see the badges from Google and Facebook and Slack and Airbnb and, and just seeing the prevalence in, in that one pocket that, until really, you know, 2010, 2011, there were a few companies trying to figure it out. And so, you know, I think it's interesting as well to see the, the different global hubs start to accelerate. And for Boston to be part of that is, is amazing. You know, Boston is usually known for life sciences. Boston is usually known for academia. And so to, to be a place where we're becoming a hub for, for engineers, for people who want to start their their careers in technology, it's, it's amazing because we're retaining talented people who may otherwise have decided to go to the West Coast after mm-hmm. school. And uh, we're helping people build careers and, and stay in the community of Boston, which is great. You know, going back to Dublin, because I didn't know that it was that good of a tech scene, but I knew that there were, there were a lot of companies, like I know Apple has done a lot of stuff in Dublin. They've also gotten in trouble there, I think, but for tax purposes. But um, you with HubSpot, you set up, help set up a lot of offices in those different places like Dublin, Singapore, Japan. So of all those places that you set up offices in or places you spent a lot of time, which is the craziest? Oh my gosh. Which is the craziest? I think my definition of crazy is is how scrappy we had to be and how new everything was. And so when I reflect on on Dublin, it was our very first international office. And that I think the experience of both learning how to be an international business and build build the office, find the talent figure out the processes. It was all new. And so that that's me when I when I think about it. That stands out as the the craziest experience. And then in and going into the the other regions of the world, you had a blueprint, but doing it the first time, it's crazy. It's also a lot of fun. And you mm. meet 
absolutely incredible people. I think, you know, going back to what we talked about earlier with the journey of learning, you learned so much when you brought in your perspective on what a company is and what company culture is. Once you you move outside of the walls of the the city that that you first launched in, and so just so many learnings from from that first office that, and it's exciting to see their continued global success and and all the offices that they've continued to open. And it, it was you know I feel very fortunate to have been part of the first few. Have you noticed? Did you notice when you were in Dublin any differences, or I guess would you notice any similarities between the Boston accent and the Irish accent? Oh, for sure, for sure, <laughs> for sure. It's a very and it's a very quick flight. It's it's easier <laughs> easier to get to Dublin than it is to fly to San Francisco. So it's um it's very close. Okay, I have one final like serious marketing kind of a question, and then sure. I want to go a little bit into rapid fire okay. put you on the spot all right but the last question here though longer form you feel free to take as much time as you need for this one what do marketers have to learn from customer success reps or customer success teams that they're not learning right now like if if i were to put a marketer into a room with a customer success rep and ask the customer success rep to teach the marketer what would you recommend? Like, what would be the most effective that we in marketing are not really taking advantage of? I would say, and I don't know if it's that you're not taking advantage of it, but it's broadening your perspective to understand the delivery of the brand promise. And so I think what can happen is in marketing, you, our marketing team is helping us bring qualified leads to the, the doorstep of our sales team and, and bring them on board so that they make a purchase. And in customer success, this is where we have to drive that value realization. We have to make that work. And I, I think for marketers to spend time with customer success managers, it's less about spending time with us and more about listening to customers once they're on that other the other side of that journey. So when you've gone from whatever QL you are, MQL, CQL. Uh, I think sometimes we get wrapped up so much. And I, I live in the marketing world. I work with marketers all day. We talk so much about our leads as leads and numbers in some version of QL. When you get on the other side of conversion and you are now the not just the, the qualified lead that came through and purchased, but you are the brand manager who's based in this part of the world, who has these needs and is leveraging the tool for these reasons, it helps you understand the impact of the brand promise that you as a marketer are, are bringing to the market. And I think it just gives you that much more power to put behind your narrative. So really seeing customers in the wild, seeing what they do, understanding the things that they're looking for, the places they get stuck. How can you take all of that stuff that you observe and you learn and plug it back into how you bring people into the top of your funnel? And so you know, I think I speak for anyone who's a leader of a customer success team. We would love to have marketers and, and we're very fortunate at Drift. Our marketers spend a lot of time with us and are embedded with our teams. Mm -hmm. But spend time with your customer success managers, sit on calls, observe meet your customers. There you have so much that they would love to share with you. And so much I think can go go back into the the front end of your process to make you an even better marketer. Awesome. I, th I think what I took away is just I actually listen and make the effort to get to know what the customers are expecting and what we've promised them. If we can live up to that, then that's, I mean, and clearly that's that's something that with marketers, it's it's really hard. Sometimes we're just getting a mindset of we got to get leads, we've got to get traffic, whatever it is, but we don't think about 
we need to help the customer. Right. And I'd say we can't put that that blame on, on just marketing. Across every function in a company, we all have very specific goals. Sales is driving new revenue growth. In customer success, we're driving onboarding completion and net retention and product. They have ships they have to make. So we all mm-hmm. have these goals. But when you talk about customer centricity and what that really is, there has to be a North Star that you're all aligned around. And you know, to be customer centric, that North Star has to be around the customer journey. And so customer success, you know, our, our side of the house isn't, isn't the only uh, group responsible for driving a strong customer journey. Every single person, every single function has a responsibility to aiding that journey and being a part of it. And I think if you can, you can help people see at your company, their contribution to that journey and the impact they have and the value they have, that's what bringing customer centricity to life really does. All right. Are, are we ready for the rapid fire round? Let's do it. Let's okay. do it. I'll these, do my best. These will, they're not really going to be like that ridiculous, but they may be thought provoking. I don't know. We'll see. Okay. We'll see. Fast, fast as you possibly can. All okay. right. Question number one. When you think of the word successful, who's the first person that comes to mind? My brother. Why is that? Uh, my brother is a, a writer and he's someone who, when you talk about being passionate and taking pride in what they do, he 100% embodies that. I admire literally every single thing he does every single day. He's very intentional in his work. He's intentional in what he does. He lives by his values as well. And so when I think of success, I think of him. So shout out to, to Eric <laughs> Devaney, if you're listening to this. <laughs> what is something that you believe, but that other people would probably think is insane? That you can you can do a lot more than you think in 24 hours. I'm someone who my husband will joke that I suck the life out of every single day in a positive way. Um, <laughs> and so so I really think even at your tiredest, there's there's more that you can get done. There's more that you can do. You can be super efficient with your time if you just make it a focus of yours. And so I, I think there's a lot that you can get done in 24 hours. There's more than you probably think that you can get done. Do you have any deep regrets in your life so far? Oof. I wish I leaned into seeking real mentorship and guidance from people earlier in my career. Working at Drift, my my CEO, David, has pushed me to investigate how I can be doing things better every step of the way. If I come to the table with a strategy or an idea, his first question is, great, who have you learned from? Who's done this bigger and better than you? I wish I started doing that 13 years ago. If I was to tell you that I'm going to make a movie about your life <laughs> and you you got to pick what genre it would be and the actress who would play you, who would you pick? And, and what, what genre? Oh, my gosh. Uh, it would have to be comedy, uh, particularly <laughs> now that I will have a, a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a newborn in, in a few weeks. <laughs> Congratulations, uh, by thank, the way. Thank you. TBD on the actress. I don't know. We'll, we'll, leave, we'll leave that to, to someone else. I have no idea. <laughs> is there a book that you give out a lot as a present or one that's just impacted you significantly? Mm. There are two books that I've read recently that I haven't given as a present, but I should. One is called Good People. And it talks about being in a place where you're much more introspective on understanding who people are when you interview them and and what you can learn about them. And then the second, this is pretty tactical, but it's been really helpful for me 
It's called the four disciplines of execution. And a lot of times business books focus on strategy and revolve around building your strategy, building your vision. And this book really forces you to, to get out of your own head, get away from the whiteboard and, and make things happen. And so I, I have started recommending that book to managers or people who want to be managers on the importance of being able to drive teams toward results versus simply having a vision and having ideas. Got it. What, what is your own personal call to action right now? If you had to give to advice, general advice to whoever would listen. My own personal call to action. Be authentic. I love it. Okay. That's it for the rapid fire round. You came right. out, you came out ahead on top. You did a great job. Thank you. You're faster than most people were. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the Bostonian thing. Yeah. Are you competitive? Oh, completely. Yeah. Very so, competitive. <laughs> there you go. I'm surprised I didn't have a stopwatch and, and ask what your typical time is. Yeah. All right. Well, now's a good time to just kind of let you talk about what you have going on in your life. If there's anything that people should check out that you're working on or basically just talk about anything that's important to you right now. Sure. You know, I think what's important to me, we, we talked earlier about work and life. I'm at an, an interesting phase where I'm about to go on my third maternity leave. And so, you know, I think for anyone who's listening, who's a, a female leader or, or just a female at a company thinking about uh, having children or about to, to go on maternity leave, what that's like, you know, just knowing that there are, are people who've been through it and are also sort of probably feeling the same things you are. It's a tough thing to do because you're very excited about this next chapter of your life, but you also have a responsibility for a job and a team and, and a role that you really enjoy. And so right now I'm really focused on being able to, to work really hard over the next few weeks to bring our team here to a really strong end of Q2, and then also be able to, to take a break and take the time I need to, to get my family adjusted to this, this new life we'll have this summer. So those are two big things that are part of what's going on in my life personally. And I think with Drift, you know, we are constantly innovating and, and learning the needs of our customer base. We have hyper growth coming up. Our conference uh, is launching next week in London. Then we'll have our second conference in Boston in September. And then our third cost conference is going to be in November in San Francisco, and it's going to be 100% customer focused. So I have that to look forward to when I return from maternity leave to, to help drive and, and create a great experience for customers. So lots, lots going on yeah. all at once. And I well, wouldn't have it any other way. Best of luck and congratulations again. Thank you. On the new baby, baby number three. And congratulations on an amazing career so far. We can't wait to see what you do next. And I think that there are a lot of people listening that have found a ton of value in what you've said. So thank you very much for coming on and have a great rest of your day. Appreciate it. Thanks. Really nice meeting you, Blake. And thanks for a great conversation. And that's it for today's episode. Again, if you're a first time listener or you've been at it since the beginning, please go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. Wherever you get your podcasts, we've got you covered anywhere you want. 